Our scripture reading this morning, if you would turn with me in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, is where we will begin our reading through to chapter 5, verse 12. Matthew four twenty-three, and uh, it is my intention um, just recently actually finished um, a series at Grace on the Beatitudes, and um, it is my intention, as I have opportunity here, um, to uh, to work through that particular passage of Scripture um, uh, as we meet together and uh, look together at God's Word. And so, of course, we, we find the Beatitudes as part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5, which we will get to, uh, 1 to 12. But uh, I want to read uh, back a little bit um, because... This morning will be somewhat of uh, an introduction to the Beatitudes and the importance of this first Beatitude that we'll be looking at, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And for that, I want to begin reading actually back in chapter 4 and verse 23. So let us take heed to the word of the Lord. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets." who were before you. That is the word of our God. As I say, this morning I want to begin looking, as I have opportunity to be here with you, at what we know as the, or what has become known as the Beatitudes, in a section of Matthew's Gospel that has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. This goes back at least as far, these, these designations go back at least as far as Augustine or Augustine. Um, they are not inspired, of course, uh, the, the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but it is a way that this portion of Matthew's gospel has become known throughout the history of God's people. And I think for obvious reasons. There's nothing wrong with these titles, uh, as we will see. The other thing that you come across as you think about uh, the, the, the broad context of the Beatitudes and as they fall into 
The Sermon on the Mount, which comes to us in the Gospel of Matthew, is that this whole Sermon on the Mount um, section of Matthew's Gospel really focuses our attention on the kingdom. And uh, many of you might have read commentaries, heard sermon series uh, on this section and, you know, kingdom living in a fallen world or something of, this, uh, of the like to that title. Uh, the, the focus here is on the kingdom. That is Matthew's focus actually throughout his gospel on Christ the King, particular to the rest of the gospel writers who have their own emphasis. But Matthew's is particularly the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a portion of this gospel that really focuses our attention on this theme of the kingdom and particularly on life in the kingdom. And this is all about the kingdom. And so if it is all about the kingdom, I make some obvious statement to you. If it is all about the kingdom, then it must be all about the king. Sometimes that is missed. We make these broad sweeping, and we'll get there soon. We make these broad sweeping um, statements and assumptions when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And if we are not, as we speak of the kingdom, if we are not speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the king, we're actually missing the point. This is all about Jesus as the king. And why I began reading with you back in in verse 23 of chapter 4 I draw your attention, again, this is all by way, just introductory remarks. I draw your attention to Jesus as he's going out through all Galilee in verse 23, and he's teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming what? He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. As Jesus is going through uh, here, beginning his public ministry, as he's going to the synagogues, as he's going to the public places, as he's, he's teaching and preaching, here is Matthew's summary of what he is proclaiming. He is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then, which we weren't going to read the whole Sermon on the Mount, but if you have your Bibles, you can look with me at chapter 7. This comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, this just puts this in perspective. Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, as we come to the end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, So he's wrapping up here. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Because this is the king who was speaking. He's not just proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He is speaking of himself. He is speaking with authority because the king was actually in their presence. They were listening to the king. You see the connection between the king and the kingdom. Now the Beatitudes fit in this focus. Speak to us of the blessings of this kingdom. The blessings of being united, connected with this king. You see all of the blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The, the, the whole theme of the Beatitudes speak to us as proclamation of the blessings that are ours if we are united to the king. This is the blessings of being a part of the kingdom. 
they do not focus us on primarily, and I say primarily on purpose, they do not focus us primarily on what we are to do. That is so often misunderstood as we come to the Beatitudes. We read the Beatitudes, we focus in, for instance, on um, you know, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, and we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we look at ourselves and we say we haven't done this enough, and we walk out of, of wherever it is that we've read or heard, and we are you know, despair and, and we are frustrated and we, we inevitably say to ourselves, I need to try harder in these areas. That is not the intention of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are there proclaiming the blessings to those who are in Christ. They are speaking of the fruits that come from Christ himself. And why is this important? It's because we come to a passage, before we get into the details, we come to a passage like this. And if we walk away from any one of these Beatitudes saying primarily to ourselves, I'm a failure, I need to try harder. The focus is in the wrong place. The intention of this passage of Scripture is to focus our eyes afresh on the Lord Jesus Christ in whom is the yes and amen of God to all the blessings. And then, interestingly enough, we start to see our lives taking shape around these things. Perspective is very important. This is not a passage of Scripture to make us feel guilty, but instead to encourage us in the middle of our weakness, in the middle of our frailty, in the middle of our struggles, of the blessings that are that belong to those who are looking to Jesus. It's the blessings of the kingdom. And the first beatitude, as we begin looking at this this morning, is first on purpose. Again, we have... So many of these different passages of Scripture given to us, you know, the the Ten Commandments in order, and you have the Beatitudes, and you have different passages of Scripture that come to us in order. And we do not serve a God who is disorderly. We do not serve a God who just kind of randomly throws things together. We believe, as we come to a passage like this, that there is rhyme and reason to these Beatitudes. They come in the order that they come on purpose. And here we come to the very first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This beatitude sets the stage for all that's going to come after it. It is first on purpose. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we want to focus our attention on these blessings. And so you might think, as I kind of organized this sermon this morning, it's, it's a little bit backwards, and I've done that on purpose What I want to do is start with the blessing. I want to start with the kingdom of heaven. You notice here, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to start with the kingdom of heaven, and then I want to deal with the the concept, the reality of blessedness, and how they're united. And then we are prepared to deal with what it is to be poor in spirit. And so I want to begin the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, speaks very similarly to this, except Luke uses 
the kingdom of God. We're not going to make an argument as to the distinctions between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They're synonymous as the, the gospel writers use these terms. So what is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? That is the blessing that is set before us in this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now boil down very simply. The kingdom of heaven, as it is used and, and spoken of and revealed in the word of God, we can start with the most basic statement, and we must. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is all about the glory of God. We say that about everything, right? It's the Sunday school answer. Why does God do fill in the blank for his own glory? It's always the answer. Because that's the truth. The kingdom is all about the glory of God. It's all about the reign and rule of God in hearts and lives. Think about the concept of a kingdom and the concept of a king. Very simply. And we think about Jesus Christ, right? We, we think about the one who has come and take on flesh. We think about the one who is here in the midst of the multitudes and on the mountainside and proclaiming and preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Here in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the king, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. We have Christ revealing the kingdom. We have Christ himself, who is the king, revealing the glory of God in his person. The kingdom of of God is not the nebulous idea. The kingdom of God is all about the king. It is all about the glory of God. It is all about that revelation in the king. And so we come this morning, and the kingdom has come because the king has come. Where the king is established, where Jesus Christ is known, where he is seen, where he is experienced, there is the kingdom. And there is where God's glory is beheld in its clarity, in its fullness. It is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you look at the word of God, and as you think about the kingdom and, and the, the, the category of the kingdom, and you, we, we keep it connected on purpose, we must keep it connected to the king, an interesting thing starts to unfold. And I'm doing this, again, very briefly to give us an idea of what's going on. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. But Luke chapter 17, verse 21, we have a, an interesting declaration being made there as the statement is made that the kingdom of God is within you. So again, we're defining the kingdom. It's all about the king. It's all about the revelation of God's glory. It's all about the reign and rule of God in the king, in and through the king. And here, or in Luke chapter 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. Well, of course, that makes complete sense, does it not? As we think about the gospel and how it works. That as you think about a fallen world, as you think about those who are um, fallen at enmity with God, and you think about what happens as you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as God opens eyes and softens hearts, and someone comes and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and united savingly to his Savior, what happens? 
We have the reign and rule of God in the king established in our hearts. The kingdom is within you. That's what happens as one comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this side of heaven, this is the essential starting point to understand how the kingdom works. If you do not have the kingdom beginning in hearts and lives, you do not have the manifestation of the glory of God in the king, because you have people rejecting the king. This is where we start. This is where the scriptures start. The kingdom is within you. This is primary. If we talk about kingdom, as we'll get to, if we talk about kingdom without talking about this, we are off the rails. But that is not all that the scriptures talk about as it speaks to us about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, again, you can just listen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19, you have Jesus making a very interesting point as he's speaking to Peter as the representative of leadership in the church. And he says there, I am going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you, Peter, as representative of the apostles and later of, of the leadership in the church, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And you talk, he talks about binding and loosing, what you bind on earth, abound in heaven, and, and you, you have this keys of the kingdom. That's the same kingdom. Spoken of in terms of the visible church. Now again, I don't want to go into great detail. This is not a sermon on ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. This is simply to say that the scriptures, there's an example of the scriptures speaking of the church visible as the community of the king. The king, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Well, of course that's true. What is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ if it is not the community of the king? What is the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ if it is not where the reign and rule of King Jesus is tangibly seen? It is to the church that his word has been given. And so the church visible can be spoken of as the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. It is the place where the king is believed in and worshipped and adored and listened to and obeyed. If we cannot take that upon ourselves as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, again, we are off the rails. We are the community of the king. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, we have, a, again, a very interesting statement that I, Jesus says, I am, I have, I'm going away to prepare a kingdom for you. Clearly there, in Matthew chapter 25, he's speaking of heaven. Life beyond the fallen world, and you think about heaven itself as the ultimate expression of what? The glory of God in the king, without hindrance, without uh, difficulty, without interruption. You have this manifestation of the glory of God, the reign and rule of God in the person of King Jesus, exemplified perfectly in heaven. Of course, he's going to prepare a kingdom for us. Notice, though, for our intents and purposes this morning, that this all revolves 
around the glory of God manifest in the king. In a fallen world, it must begin in our hearts. It needs to be exemplified in the context of the church, and it is longed for as we long for heaven. That's the kingdom. It revolves around the king. It always revolves around the king. And so we come to the Sermon on the Mount. We come to the Beatitudes that focus our attention on the kingdom, life in the kingdom. By necessity, it focuses our attention on the king. And so I want to pause here just for a moment to apply this. I mean, I think it's obvious. But it must inform this, this reality of Christ the king and his kingdom. It must inform our understanding of the term kingdom when we use it. We use the term kingdom almost as much as we use the term covenant. Right? Covenant signs and covenant seals, and, and we're going to enjoy covenant meal, and we talk about covenant children, and we talk, we also talk about kingdom. We talk about kingdom focus, we talk about kingdom mindset, we talk about doing kingdom work. We use the term kingdom a great deal in the church. This focuses our attention, is what we are essentially talking about when we use the term kingdom. The reign and rule of God, the glory of God, as it is manifest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in hearts and lives, manifest in the church, long for in heaven. And so then the question becomes, do we have a kingdom perspective? Do we have a kingdom focus? Do we have a kingdom mindset? Are we engaged in kingdom work? And it is our, it is our, is it our desire that this kingship, this king, is manifest not only in our own hearts and lives, but that that kingship is manifest in the lives of the world in which we live. This is a series dealing with the Beatitudes that will challenge us to examine our hearts and areas of our lives where this isn't true. This is going to define for us this kingdom perspective. Secondly, I did want to deal with the concept of blessedness. We, we, you can't miss it when you're dealing with the Beatitudes. Blessedness. Nine times we have it in this passage. The blessedness. What I want to show you is that there is an extremely close connection between the kingdom, what we have just defined as the kingdom, and this blessedness. There is a connection here that is necessary. Almost synonymous. Our confession helps us a great deal at this particular point as we think here on the blessed nature of the kingdom. Confession of Faith, chapter 2. In paragraph 2, I would commend that to you. It's, it's one of my favorite expressions in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It is dealing there with God and his relationship to the universe. And it is a glorious, glorious paragraph. But there is one statement in that confession that has everything to do with what we are talking about this morning. And it is this. The statement is this. God has all blessedness in and of himself. 
God has all blessedness, all of it, in and of himself. In other words, there is no other place that we as human beings can find true blessing or blessedness, exactly what the Beatitudes are speaking of. There is no way, no place to find these things outside of God himself. He alone has all blessedness. So many today misunderstand this simple, profound statement. And you will hear, not the, the, the declarations of the Beatitudes, but you will hear something of the effect of, you know, blessed are those who have this, or blessed are those who do this for a living, or blessed are those who accomplish this in life, or blessed are those who are married, depending on who you're talking about, blessed are those who are single, blessed are those who have children, blessed are those who don't have children, blessed are those who drive this kind of car. It goes on and on and on. Now, some of these things, as we kind of pick them apart, look at the Word of God, some of these things we can talk about as small b blessings. And there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves, if they are according to the Word of God. But the point is this, that you could have all of these things, And not have Jesus Christ, not have God. And you are not blessed. There is no blessing outside of God himself. And anything that can be experienced then in a small b blessing is only because it is connected and given by God himself. God has all blessedness in and of himself. There is nothing else in this universe that we can put in that place. Blessedness, then, as we think about that scripturally, is always associated with fellowship with God. It is always, categorically, as the gospel of Jesus Christ unfolds in the scriptures, and we know that it does, right? You have redemptive history. And as it unfolds, as the gospel and the the clarity of the gospel and the promises of Christ, you know, as they begin to unfold in the scriptures. Remember when when, when God came to Abraham, for instance, it's a wonderful passage, it's a wonderful part of redemptive history that we focus on when we talk about baptism and and blessings to our children and all of those type of things, right? You think about Abraham, you think about what God did when he came to Abraham and proclaimed to him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to Abraham, he said, listen, I'm going to be a blessing to you and I'm going to be a blessing to your offspring and I'm going to be a blessing indeed through you to the nations, not just you and not just your offsprings, offspring, but the nations. I'm going to be a blessing. Now think about what the essence of what God was promising there. As he came to Abraham, it's the covenant of grace. We're familiar with the passage. The essence of that promise of blessing is that God came to Abraham and said, I will be your God. And I will be the God of your offspring, and I will be the God of the nations. 
in and through the one that I am going to send, the king. God offers himself to all those who would come to him in faith. Abraham is the father of faith. The Beatitudes, as we think of statement of blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing, as we understand that all of these things are contained in God, revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes force us to look up. They force us to look to God and to his glory as the only source of blessing. They force us to look to the king. Blessed are those, indeed, who have been given the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who behold the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and who are privileged to live in the light of that glory. And again, the question becomes obvious for us. It is basic and obvious. Are we living in that blessing? Are we living in that blessing? Can we say in this essential way, that I am blessed. And not think about all the stuff we have or don't have, but I am blessed because I know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the Beatitudes, again, force our perspective upward to God and to his Son, Jesus Christ, and to the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, we are looking at the blessings of the kingdom. Now, that being said, and some of that, again, serves as a a background and a backdrop to the rest of the Beatitudes. But that being said, now, as we're working backwards, we are prepared to think about and to dwell upon what it really means to be poor in spirit. We have to understand kingdom. We have to understand blessedness before we can even begin to crack this. Poor in spirit. What is it? What does it mean? Well, the blessings of the Beatitudes begin, of course, with a clear recognition of the relationship between human beings. We're going to call this self, right? Who you are, who I am. Who are we? They they deal with the relationship between who we are and God himself. Not where you came from, not what you look like, but who you are. And that relationship between that self and God. Man's spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. Man's spirit, what is being spoken of here by our Lord, simply refers to what we might call the self. It refers to who we are. I'm being simplistic, but I don't want to get overly difficult. Our souls. What makes you you? That is what, our, what he's speaking of. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit is essentially recognizing, again, as we think about definitions here, it is essentially recognizing that as we look at ourselves, what makes us us? As we look at that, as we dwell upon that, as we think about that, it is essentially recognizing that as we look at ourselves, who we are, that there is absolutely 
no basis or foundation for blessing at all. Not a hint, not not a glimmer, nothing. That there is no basis, there is no foundation within us for blessedness. If you think about it as a bank account, it's at zero. There's nothing there. Absolutely nothing. And so, by God's grace, we begin to look to God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see that in Christ we have access to infinite blessedness. A blessedness that cannot be contained as we find the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We have access to absolutely everything we need for an eternity when it comes to blessedness, to blessing. It is found in Jesus. So we look to God in and through the King who has come. We confess to him, I am poor in spirit. Indeed, I am poor in spirit. I am in, desperately need, I am in desperate need for your help, not just in the big things, not just in the religious things, not just in the church things, but in everything, without exception. In all things, I do not have within me the basis or foundation for blessing at all, nothing. It's all in you. John Calvin begins his entire Institutes of the Christian Religion. Highlighting this very truth, and I'll I'll paraphrase this quickly, but it's a wonderful beginning. He begins the whole thing, if you're familiar with it. He begins the whole institutes dealing with the knowledge of God. And I'm going to paraphrase him here, but as we begin to truly understand ourselves, as God is gracious to us and we really begin to wrestle with self and we really begin to wrestle with who we are, and that happens over time. It doesn't, it's not just this immediate thing. God begins to, to cause us to, to think about who we are and begins to think about the foundations and all of those kind of things as, as we truly begin to understand ourselves. We begin to recognize this poverty. We begin to realize more and more that there is no foundation, that there is no source of blessedness, that there really is only sin. And it drives us to look to God. It drives us out of ourselves, right? We spend time thinking, we try all these different things. There's nothing there. And so we are forced to look outside of ourselves. We cry out to God. We look to God. We begin to behold God, again, by his grace. And this poverty becomes even more clear to us. Because now we're not comparing ourselves to one another. Now we're not comparing ourselves to the world around us. Now we are comparing ourselves to God himself. Again, Calvin uses the illustration, if you live your life staring at black walls, and that's all you see, you just look at black walls all the time. Somebody leads you into a room, and that room has walls off-white and dingy. You know, you can those walls where you can see they haven't been cleaned in decades, and you can kind of see the drips coming down. But they're off-white, they're not black. You go from that black wall and you walk into that room and look at those dingy walls and you're going to say, wow, those walls are bright. 
in comparison to the black ones that I've only seen my entire life. Until you look at the brilliance of God. And you see the holiness and the brilliance of God. And then you see that even the walls that you thought were white are dingy and dirty. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing in us. This is the person who comes to God poor in spirit, in humility, coming to God and acknowledging that there is no good in me at all. Do you see how countercultural this is? Do you see how this does not fit in the world in which we live? Our culture says, look within and believe in yourself. Our our culture says you can do anything that you set your mind to. Our, Our children are taught that from the day that they can hear. You are a a limitless bundle of potentiality. You can do whatever it is you set your mind to do. And we coddle them as a culture in that falsehood. This beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, the very first step to a blessed and fulfilled life is to, by God's grace, say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I need you for everything. I am not a limitless bundle of potentiality. I don't need to be coddled in these things. I am nothing outside of Christ Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. Of heaven. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. Many of us, you know, have fridge magnets or we've memorized this, but Paul says, and he means this, this is exactly what he's talking about. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All things. I can do all things because there's nothing that I can do outside of him. And then he goes on to say in Philippians 4, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the building blocks, the foundational building block of the Christian life. Poor in spirit. Isaiah chapter 66, as we bring this to a conclusion. Isaiah chapter 66 is, ex- is dealing with exactly the same thing. It's interesting. God says there, verses 1 and 2, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is this house that you should build for me, and what is the place of my rest? In other words, you're thinking too small. If you're thinking temple, if you're thinking, I am God. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Don't think so small of me. But then what does he say? And these things my hand has made so that all things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Isn't it absolutely wonderful this morning? Glorious. That as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we can recognize our weakness, we can recognize our confusion, we can recognize our struggles, we can recognize all of those things. They're all true. But that as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, from the very depths of who we are, from the very depths of our souls, we can proclaim, indeed, I know it to be true, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We dare not walk out of here feeling guilty. That we do not measure up. Of course we don't. That's the point. But we must walk out of here. Looking to the king. For in him. We are truly blessed. And in him. We have the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God in heaven, we come to you this morning and we bless your name. We thank you that you have condescended to reveal your glory to sinners such as us. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would, as you have, as you have, are faithful to us, that you would help fashion this very thing in our hearts. That outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing. But in him, we have every spiritual blessing. O Lord, we ask, we plead, that you would set our eyes afresh on the glory of our King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.